Well, in life there are words that come up that um, we don't always really like, that make us uncomfortable, but it's interesting how sometimes one word for some person might make them feel extremely uncomfortable or upset, but for the other person, another person, they might just rejoice in that word, and, and there's things like that in life. Just let me give you a couple examples. Um, one of them is, Kelly's giving me a look like, oh my goodness, what is he going to say? Um, in-laws, in-laws. Well, that's one of those words where some of you, you hear in-laws and you're like, oh my goodness, and you just cringe. Um, but like for Kelly and I, I have good in-laws, and she has wonderful in-laws. <laughs> so when you say in-laws, you know, there's rejoicing that happens. My, my parents, they weren't feeling, they, they're maybe allergies are cold today, so they're not here, maybe watching online, so maybe giggling online, so they know they're wonderful in-laws. But another one, camping. Some of you hear camping, and you're like, oh, my goodness, never, never, don't do it, bugs, you know, camping, no way, just cringe at the thought of camping, but others of you are like, camping, I love camping, I live for camping. Um, that might be another word, politics, some of you, those, oh, can we not talk about it? others of you, that, oh, man, I love it, I just delve in, love politics, or other words like colonoscopy, which, wait, no, no, that, we all just cringe at that, I'm sorry, I just, um, but that, we, we're getting into a text today uh, where there's some words in there where we kind of, sometimes some of us kind of, kind of like, ah, I, don't, I don't like that word. Um, like words like predestination. Like, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> or chosen. Or like words like uh, election or the elect. Um, but these are words that are in scripture that Paul uses or even the elect that's on the, the words, the lips of Jesus. He uses these words, and there's times where we cringe, we're like, I don't know that I understand them, but one thing, even if they're ones that we wrestle with and we struggle with, they're definitely words in the Bible that we don't want to throw out, because they're the words um, uh, of God, that as he inspired Paul to write these things, this is what he wrote, so we need to dig in and think through them, and Paul, when he thinks about this predestination, when he thinks about adoption and God choosing us. What happens to him, this whole passage from verse 3 to 14, it is one sentence in the Greek, and it's all praise welling up to God. It's all a praise to God, and it's a, a Trinitarian praise that praises the Father and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see that even in different sections, like the, the first section of verses 3 through 6. It's 6 is all about what the Father is doing, and it ends in uh, the phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then verses 7 through 12 is all about the work of Christ and what he has done. And it ends into the praise of his glory. And the verses 13 through 14, it's about the Holy Spirit, his sealing and guaranteeing. And it's, then it ends to the praise of his glory. So this is just bursting forth praise of all of these things that we receive, that were given by God through Christ Jesus. And we learn all these things. And it's about his grace and about his sovereignty and about his choosing, about his predestination, and wells up in praise. Uh, the preacher of old, Charles Spurgeon, said of this text, he said this, he said, sit in your seats and keep on blessing God from the first word of the sermon to the last, and then go on blessing God till the last hour of life, and enter into heaven, into eternal glory, still blessing God. It should be our lives to bless him who gave us our life. It should be our delight 
to bless him who gives us our life. Well, I said that again. So say that, So says the text. So let us do. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it just begins this whole passage is blessing our God for all that he has done. So we can wrestle through these things and it's good. And it's good to see the mystery of God's working and God's hand as we delve in. And in this passage, as we think about our identity, there's a true new identity that we see in Christ. And also all of these blessings that come out. As we're adopted, we become sons and daughters of God. We are blessed. And we might ask the question, what is the scope of all these blessings that we have in Christ? And we see that in the first verse. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what is the scope? Well, it's extensive. So it's every spiritual blessing we have in Christ, in the heavenly places. We're given these, all of them. So it says, essentially, God is not holding back the blessings that he has for us. He is not holding back, but he pours them out. And they've all the blessings we've begun to receive in Christ, if you turn from your sins, you've trusted in Christ, and you know him, the blessings that we have in him, the forgiveness in him, they'll continue until they're full when we see Jesus face to face. And as we think of this passage, too, we can be reminded that Paul, Paul writes this letter, we see it in several verses within Ephesians, he's writing from prison. Paul is writing from prison and he's speaking about blessings. So these blessings aren't all wrapped up in our, our current circumstance, the, the here and now of our, our circumstance that we're walking through. It's also not about earthly wealth, these blessings, or even, even earthly health here and now, but they're blessings that we receive in Christ. They're spiritual blessings in him, and we're going to see those as we walk through. And even as we see that they're in relation to who we are in Christ and our relationship with him, just even note as you walk through, as we walk through this, and maybe if you want to circle that. And also, don't forget, in the back we still have these great little journal that notebooks where it has the verses and you can write and circle and just do whatever you want, do doodles and things. Um, feel free to grab those. Even boys, you can you can grab those. You can go do notes. Yeah, um, they're just Anthony staring at me. But I'm serious. So um, in Christ, these are all things that happen in Christ. And even as we see a la- little later in Ephesians two verse thirteen, Paul says, "And now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These blessings that we have in Christ, and it's everything. He doesn't hold back." He pours out these blessings on us. So let's kind of walk through and see what some of these blessings are. What are the blessings that we have in Christ? And it begins, uh, the first one, it's really, it could be two really, is that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world and predestined for us for adoption as sons and daughters. So this new identity that we have in Christ. Verse four, even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So we see first this beginning that he says that God chose us. He chose us in Christ. Uh, sometimes we talk about this as the truth or doctrine of election that we are chosen. And even Jesus speaks about that. 
In John 15, 16, he says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And so whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. So God, he's the one who makes that first initiation in our life. It's like the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus talks about in Luke 15, that Jesus speaks about that shepherd that goes after that lost sheep. He initiates, he goes out and he brings him back. And you know, other parts of scripture where it talks about that we are given new hearts, hearts of stone that are made into hearts of flesh. We see that in the Old Testament. And, and we see even as we walk through Ephesians that it talks about us as those who were once dead in sin. And the question always is, is what can a dead person do? Well, nothing. But God awakens our heart that we might freely and desire to freely choose him and follow after him and turn and believe. In 2 Timothy 1.9, um, Paul speaks about it this way. He says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his, but according to his own purpose and grace which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So when does this happen? Uh, when does this choosing happen? Well, Paul says before the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, before creation, Paul, Paul is pointing that God's sovereign work began at the beginning of time. His plan even for us, this plan to, to call us and make us his sons and daughters, and pour out his glorious grace that we're going to see as we walk through this a little bit. And even if we don't understand all of God's working, um, we can know that we can trust him even in the midst of it, that his grace and his mercy is in the midst. And even as we see this in this next, the end of verse 4 into 5, that he's done these things in love. It says, in love he predestined us, verse 5, for adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So it says, in love he predestined us. And this word predestined means to determine or to decree beforehand. He decreed beforehand that we should be adopted, that we should be those who become sons and daughters of the king. So he's drawn us out, and there's this new identity in him. This is a paraphrase from the new line of, the, of verse 5. I think it's helpful. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So this is God's plan. It gives him pleasure to call us in and, and call us his sons and his daughters. So this is by the will of, of our God to call us and adopt us. And we should be welled up in just thanksgiving for him and all that we have in Christ. That, that we have this new identity. We, we're, just not, we're not just partially sons and daughters, but we are, we are fully his sons and daughters. We're fully in it. In adoption, there's an identity, a complete identity change that happens in adoption. Our family, we know, of course, we know a lot about adoption and how our identities totally change. Uh, and at that moment of adoption, that our families just radically change when you ad adopt a child. And, and there's sometimes where, well, recently someone asked me if I, I wanted to come talk about um, adoption. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, yeah. 
That's part of our family. But it's just such an identity change that we don't think about it from day in and day out. It's just who it is. Even like uh, this week, um, we all uh, were able to celebrate that Anthony, he um, was able to, to be on the middle school varsity, the A-team. He's excited about that. And, and Kelly, she played basketball when she was in middle school and high school. And I played the trombone. Um, so, so Anthony was like, I'm so glad, Mom, that you were a basketball player. So we just think of that. I mean, we're family. It's out there totally. Our identities change. And the same is when, when we're called in and he's predestined to adopt us. Um, we should just be thankful for that, even if we wrestle with it. And then verse 6. Verse 6 says, again, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So this purpose of our salvation our adoption into Christ is, is for the praise and the glory of our God. Um, it's about him, so much about us. We were once dead, and now we're made alive in him. We were once far off, and now we're brought into the family of God. Identity totally changed. And as we wrestle through these things, I think it's good even just to leave some of the mystery in it. Um, I've said before, and I'll read again, uh, that we, we've, we always need we always need to be cautious to try not to, to over-systematize and quantify what we may never understand on this side of eternity. And instead, we can sit in awe of our God and the mystery of his grace and his mercy and his justice and his love all mingled in with the suffering servant who is our king, who suffered for us. So it's good to, to wrestle through these things. But it's sometimes good also to have some illustrations to kind of grasp on and kind of understand of God's choosing, his predestination. What is he doing in this as he's called us by his will before the foundations of the earth? Well, it's helped by a couple of illustrations by a pastor, Richard Kogan. I'm probably not saying his name right, but there's a commentary called Ephesians for You. And if you're ever looking for a commentary on a certain book of the Bible, there's a uh, relatively new set of commentaries and they all have for you after it so it might be romans for you or john for you i don't know how many books of the bible they have but they're really helpful illustrations or um, commentaries um, that I, i've i found even useful in, in my study in my time well anyway this pastor talks about a couple things one of them is that of when we are adopted when it, we are, are called and we're chosen by god it's a spiritual um copernicus revolution he talks about Nicholas Copernicus, which uh, some of you are familiar with, a 16th century mathematician and astronomer. I'm sure Paul can tell us all about, about him. Um, but he was first to propose that the, that the sun, um, not the earth, is what all the planets revolve around. That it's not the earth is not the center of the universe, but the sun and the planets revolving around that. I know that could be a shock to some of us. I don't know. But uh, it's true that, that we are, the earth is not the center of the universe, and nor, is, nor does the, the earth to, uh, rotate on. America isn't the center of the, the axis of the earth. Sometimes we, we think we're the center of all things. But he says in a similar way, um, often, though, we live as if we are the center of all that God is doing. All that God's plan pretty much revolves around my life. Um, and we all, at some point in our time, we, we either feel that way or we, we live our lives that way often uh, but when we look at this idea of God's um, eternal plan and his adoption and his predestination of us that we see that God's the one that is working uh, 
uh, Pastor Kogan said. He said, but election turns the world, this worldview completely upside down. It recognizes that we are hell-deserving hell sinners. And so the question is whether God could choose to allow us in any part in his world in his future. So so a little bit about as if our, the, wor- our, the world and God's plan revolving around us, we, we're reminded that he has brought us in um, to his plan. And it's a, a wonderful thing. And then we also, last week, we talked about there is a tension in the Bible by God's sovereignty and also the responsibility and the will of man that we see throughout scripture. Sometimes we call that an antinomy. I think it's uh, J.I. Packer uses that term where there is an apparent contradiction to two strong truths. Sometimes they feel like, how do those mesh together? Sometimes there's mystery there in it. Uh, but another illustration that this pastor pointed out, and he was pulling from uh, a, a, a preacher of old, Harry Ironside, from one of his commentaries that you can find on, online in Ephesians, where it talks about it's a little bit like uh, a narrow door. A narrow door that has, has words written on the front as you walk in and words written on the back. And speaking of that as this door representing our following Christ. And on the front of that door, the words of Christ, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, ones that I quote probably every week. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are on the front of that door as we go in. Christ's call to come. And then as we walk through that door, we notice that on the back side, there's also comforting words of truth on the back side of that door of God's sovereignty and his call on our life. And that would be these words in Ephesians, the end of four into five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, so we continue, though. There's other blessings that we see as we walk through this passage. Verse 7 through 8, continued blessings that we see. Seven through eight, we see that we have redemption from sin through the blood of Christ. So verses seven through eight, let me read those. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, when we walk through first Peter, Peter talks about this in a really similar way, talks about our salvation, this redemption and he talks about ransom, our being redeemed. Let me read those verses and kind of remind us, refresh our memory. This is from 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. It says, knowing, knowing that you are ransomed, are redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So here we have redemption, we have deliverance. We've been ransomed from sin. We've been redeemed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We've been forgiven. That payment has been paid for our sin, that we might then walk in holiness, which we saw in verse 4. That we can walk in that. We've been rescued from a life that was, that, that was perishing, that was fading, that was futile, and we've been rescued. So we have been redeemed. Redeemed from an empty life into a new life in him. We rescued from a futile, empty, shallow hope into true hope in him. And how exactly have we been redeemed? Well, when we talk about redemption, often uh, it was a picture of that, of silver or gold being paid maybe for a prisoner of war to be redeemed, to be rescued. 
but we haven't been redeemed by, by silver or gold, but by something so much better, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, one who is fully God and fully man, who died in our place and rose again, that he could pay that penalty, that we might be able to be drawn in. And then Peter learned about that as well, a verse we quoted often when we walked through 1 Peter 3. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God by being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then our redemption from sin through the death of Jesus, that points to the grace of our God, that glorious grace according to his grace, which he lavished upon us, that it was unmerited, that he, while we were dead in sin, he desired to pour out his grace upon us. And not just pour it out a little bit, but lavishly showered it upon us. Richly poured out upon us. And as we think of this, this is what should indeed fuel us to, to follow and run after Christ and to follow after him. And we see the goodness that we have in him. And even to rest as well, that we've been redeemed, that we have been adopted, that we are his and we can rest that we could be a people marked by hope because of that and as we continue verses 9 through 10 continued blessing that we see the mysteries of his will they've been made known to us the, the gospel of jesus christ his good plan from eternity to unite all things in christ they've been made known to us now to making known verse 9 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So here we see that he's revealed to us his will and the gospel of Christ. Jesus, in Jesus we are freed and we're forgiven of our sins through him. What great grace that we see poured out in his perfect timing, uniting all things together in him. He has authority over all things. Another quote or a, a reading from the New Living, which is a, a paraphrase, a great paraphrase of this verse, I feel like. Verse 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 10. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So Jesus has come, that he's begun to make all three things right, and all things will be made right in him. He is our, as we studied in Psalms this summer, he is the one who is our suffering king, but also our savior king and our shepherd king, and all things will be made right in him. And we can be assured that the work that God has begun in us and the world will be completed. All things will be made right and just in his eternal kingdom. One, one more quote by Hogan. So there is a certain and glorious future awaiting believers. Even as we struggle now with personal failures and addictions or belittling physical and mental conditions or miserable jobs or unemployment or painful singleness, loveless marriages, divorce or widowhood, whatever we face, Christ can be sure, whatever we face, Christians can be sure that already and forever we will live in unity with Christ. No matter what our circumstance now, we're reminded that there's a unity that we have in Christ that will be for all eternity, and we can rest in him. And then verses 11 through 12, we, we see we have obtained an inheritance to come. 
an inheritance to come. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Again, back in Peter, in 1 Peter, when we studied through that, we talked a lot about inheritance. And let me just be able to remind you, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. So there's this this eternal heavenly inheritance. When we've been redeemed, when we've been made sons and daughters of the king, there's an inheritance that we receive as we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And our inheritance includes things like peace and rest and fully experiencing the presence of God for all eternity and that of our good shepherd and absence of sin and suffering for all eternity. Experiencing life abundantly in Christ now and more fully when we see Christ face to face. And it'll continue to grow. There's probably some mystery even in that inheritance of what we have in Christ. And we know, though, from Ephesians that it'll be beyond what we can ask or imagine that we have in him. Or as Jesus says in Luke 12, 32 through 34, fear not, little flock. I love that verse. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We have an inheritance in Christ. And we are, uh, when turned from ourself and our sin and trust in him. And and he forgives us and we become his children. There's an inheritance of that we will see now and in all of eternity. And then as we continue, verses 13 through 14, we see that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise, again, that phrase, to the praise of his glory. So in Christ, we see that that we've been sealed, that we've been kept. There's an inheritance, there's a confidence that when we receive that, the Holy Spirit. And that idea of being sealed, when something was of value in the time of Paul, and really we do this in different ways now, we mark it with a seal to say, this is ours. And if there's something of great possession, we mark it with a seal that this is something that belongs to us. I, I think if, I don't know if you've ever uh, been to a farm when they, when they, when they um, brand and band calves, um, but that's a, an exciting, exciting time to, to go to a farm. It's a nice smelling time as they're branding those calves, but they brand them and they're marking it that this calf belongs to, to, to this person or this calf belongs to another. And there's a permanent mark that they're, they're belonging. Sometimes you might see a, a person that wears a shirt that says property of the Broncos. And I, 
I don't, I, I don't know what that means. I'm not really sure what those shirts have to do with anything. But anyway, they, there's a marking of what you belong to. And they're sealed. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he is our guarantee, our down payment, our deposit of the inheritance to come in the kingdom. He's our comforter. He's the counselor that we are given. And he even enlightens and enables us to understand God's word. And he comforts us. And it's a taste of all that we will have for all of eternity we have in the Holy Spirit. An illustration, it might be a little bit like this, or maybe it not. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I don't know if you, have you ever been and eaten at, at Texas Roadhouse before? You go to Texas Roadhouse. Um, I know you guys are getting hungry already. I'm going a little long today. It's a long, it's, there's a lot in this passage. I could have gotten two or three sermons, so just... So, but you go to, so Texas Roadhouse, and what do they do? They used to bring you peanuts. They don't do that anymore. And they may never bring back because the employees are probably like, no peanuts, don't ever bring those back. But they bring um, fresh rolls to your table with their just yummy rolls. Anthony, he's, your, our mouths are watering already. And they give you honey butter stuff. And man, they're so good. But that's not the main meal. It's just a taste of what's to come. And then you get your steak or your chicken fried whatever um, white gravy on it, and man, it's just good. But the Holy Spirit is he's a, down, he's a, down, a down payment, a deposit, a guarantee of what um, we only get a taste of now, which we'll have fully in the presence of our King. Paul talks about it in Romans 8, several verses from Romans 8 here. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, the redemption of our body. So there's, a redemp- there's an adoption that has begun, but will be, there's still a longing, like there's still more, and our hearts long for that because there is more to come. Created for that in Romans 8 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how we not, how will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? So here we have uh, this promise, and we're given uh, this initial seal and guarantee of all that is to come in him as those who've been predestined, chosen, adopted. We're going to take just a little step back, just for a second, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But verses 12 and 13, we see, we do see our responsibility. What is our responsibility in light of all the blessings offered to us in Christ? So we see some things in these couple of verses. And verse 12 talks about the response of those who first responded. I believe he's speaking about Jews. And then the second who responded, all those non-Jews, all the Gentiles that responded to Christ. So that we, who were first, speaking of the Jews, to hope, hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So how did they respond as they heard of the gospel of Christ? They hoped in him. And then you see the parallel in verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel says, you heard the gospel of salvation. And what did you do when you heard that Christ died and rose again? Well... You believed in him. You believed in him. So there's the response of hope and belief of resting faith in Jesus Christ. And that's our call, our response, as we hear of the goodness of all that Christ has done today. 
and call us to turn from yourself and your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And he is ready and willing to, to forgive you, to call you in and make you a son or a daughter. So that is the response we have. And there is this, this balance, this wrestling between our responsibility and the sovereignty of God. But let's not throw out either of these. Maybe there's words we don't like. I don't really like that predestination word or that chosen word. Well, it's here. We need to embrace it and see what it means and wrestle with it. Let me close just with a, a conversation from many years back, actually from the 1700s. It's one that J.I. Packer is kind of known for quoting. And uh, it's, uh, several of his books or different articles I've read. And it's a conversation between Charles Simeon and John Wesley. And it's in, it was found in a journal of Wesley's. And Charles Simeon was a strong Calvinist. He leaned into the sovereignty of God. And John Wesley was an Arminian. He leaned into the free will of man. And this is their conversation and, and that of Charles Simeon addressing John Wesley. He says, sir, I understand that you are called an Arminian, and I have been sometimes called a Calvinist, and therefore I suppose we are draw daggers. Um, and if it was in our day and time, it would probably to draw nasty tweets toward each other. I don't know. But, but before I consent to begin the battle, with your permission, I will ask you a few questions. Pray, sir. Do you feel yourself a depraved creature, so depraved that you would never have thought of turning to God if God had not first put it into your heart? Yes, says the veteran, I do indeed. And do you utterly despair of recommending yourself to God by anything you can do and look for our salvation solely through the blood and righteousness of Christ? Yes, solely through Christ. But sir, supposing you were at first saved by Christ, are you not somehow or other to save yourself afterwards by your own works? No, I must be saved by Christ from first to last. Allowing then that you were first turned by the grace of God, are you not in some way or other to keep yourself by your own power? No. What then are you are you to be upheld every hour and every moment by God, as much as an infant in its mother's womb, in its mother's arms? Yes, altogether. And all and is all your hope in the grace and mercy of God to preserve you into his heavenly kingdom? Yes, I have no hope but him. Then, sir, with your leave, I will put my daggers again, put up my daggers again, for this is all my Calvinism. This is my election, my justification, my faith, my final perseverance. It is in substance all that I hold, and as I hold it, and therefore, if you please, instead of searching out terms and phrases to be a ground of contention between us, will we cordially unite in those things wherein we agree? Dear Father God, we thank you for the goodness of your word that speaks words of truth that we need today. These ancient words that speak and change and open our eyes 
Lord, we confess that there are mysteries that we do not understand about your way and your moving and even, even in salvation. And yet we stand in awe and we are welled up in praise and thankfulness for the grace that you've poured upon us. Not just poured out, but lavishly showered upon us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you sent to die for us, that we could be forgiven, that we could enter in and be called sons and daughters of the King. I pray this morning that you would help us to rejoice in these things, even in the midst of our sorrow and struggle. And we think of just as you wrote these things, they were from prison, from a place of difficulty, and it would help us to, to anchor our hope in Jesus Christ, that we are in him and that all things will be completed in him and our unity in him will continue for all eternity, Lord, that we might find peace. Lord, I pray as well, just as we think of this calling to place our hope and faith, Lord, I pray if there are any who have yet to place their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, even this morning, might you kindly draw them that they would repent and believe and trust in you this morning, find the hope that can only be found in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.